Welcome back to another episode of our Eagle Perspective podcast. I am Mike Siciliano. We are continuing on with our head of schools today in our ongoing series called A Yard of Books. And I'm joined, of course, by Rod Gilbert. Our hey, head Mike. Of thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. We're going to talk a little bit about Pinocchio today. Love Pinocchio. Not the Disney version. No, the original version. Okay. And we are joined by a special guest today, our lower school assistant principal, Amanda Walker. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I know this is a return to the podcast for you. So we're excited to have you back on our Eagle Perspective podcast. Equally excited. Thank you. And part of why we asked you here, because as much as we're talking about Pinocchio, we're also talking about reading aloud. One of my favorite things. So what is it about reading aloud that makes it one of your favorite things? Well, I think reading aloud allows for you to connect with your child and maybe have conversations that you wouldn't have otherwise or skip off to fantasy land together. And I think that's a really neat opportunity. Is this something that you've done with, you have three children, correct? Three kids. And you've done you've done this with all three of them? Is it something you discovered partway through? So yes, reading aloud was like one of the things I looked forward to when it came to thinking about parenting. But I think that's because my parents read aloud to me. So I have really fond memories of my mom reading Chronicles of Narnia or All Creatures Great and Small. And it was special time. Yeah. So I don't know if you even remember this, but for the longest time, my oldest child wouldn't sit and listen to a book until you gave us a book. Do you remember that book? Yep. Violet's House. Violet's House. Right? And yes. that was because her name is Violet, right? That's like what got her to be able to sit and listen while we read aloud to her. So... I can speak personally to your experience <laughs> as the read aloud expert. And it's a good segue, Rod, back to you because you discovered Pinocchio. You were, you were saying a little bit before we got started. When did you discover yeah, this book? Uh, when our children were little, I was able to have dinner with the author that wrote a book called Teaching the Heart of Virtue, How Classics Cultivate Moral Imagination in Children. So over dinner, I met him at a conference, read the book, and one of the chapters is dedicated to the character development of the original Pinocchio, not the Disney Pinocchio. Right. And I didn't know there was such a thing. So out of ignorance and bliss and joy, I read it out loud to Ryan when he was a little boy. I was smitten by the original Pinocchio. So first of all, I'm glad you said you didn't know there was such a thing. No. Because uh, I'm going to say at least half our audience probably is having the same reaction, right? That this uh, is or different. more. In fact, almost everybody I say this to yeah. have no idea there was a Pinocchio before Disney. Right. Yep. So what is it about this version of Pinocchio that made you say, I need to read this aloud to my son? I think it's a darker and a little edgier. It's much darker. It's scarier. <laughs> and it captivated Ryan's attention. Ryan at some points would stop me reading it and would yell out, don't let him do that. Like, no. Pinocchio, don't do that. Because he knew there was danger up ahead. And... Uh, there are also a lot of biblical interactions that are so obvious when you read the story that are less obvious uh, in Disney's version. Okay. So, you know, for, for, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, anyone out there who doesn't know the story of this version of Pinocchio, are there some highlights, just for our audience's sake, <laughs> that you could share with us? Uh, well, you know, due to his bad behavior, he does become a donkey, just like he does in the okay. movie. Okay, so that is, part's... It's, it's a good... That's a good crystallizing part. You okay. know, there, there's a big fish that swallows up people. Okay. That's in both. It's obvious that that's Jonah in yeah. the Jonah yeah. story. I think one other aspect of the original book that gets sort of lost in Disney is 
there's an emphasis, a very direct emphasis that the author is getting across, biblically speaking, of a child's love and devotion and sort of admiration of mommy and daddy. The mother figure, the fairy godmother, and then Geppetto, of course. There, there's, a, there's a desire of the boy to be ultimately respectful and caring for his father. And so in today's world where the family unit is under quite a bit of attack, it has been the last 30 years, the emphasis on this biblical understanding of family is, uh, is quite beautiful. And yeah, I think without explaining it to children, they can see it. They can see that, it, that a father's love and courage and a, and a son's courage of trying to save his father, ultimately saving his father, is a beautiful picture. It's the role modeling that we get from Christ himself. Yeah. So, Amanda, is there one that stands out to you in that book? Well, there's the piece with the cat and the fox who trick him into burying coins in the field and, of course, steal the coins. And then what happens to the cat and the fox in the end out of their greed and trickery? And there's those themes. And it sounds like it's not, you know, happily ever after. I mean, there's some difficulty. There's some emotion that... Children well, Pinocchio will kills the cricket. Right? Okay, well, there you go. Oh, that's pretty dangerous. Does he throw a hammer at it? He does. He, he throws a, a hammer at the cricket. Yeah. Okay. And he comes back as a ghost, the cricket. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just listening, you know, hey, I mean, I have a six year old and a three year old, and I don't know that I'm convinced yet that I should be reading this to my six year old. So w- what is it that both of you about this have been like, yeah, I, really, I, it's important that I read this with my child? Again, I think it goes back to that it just, it gives a lot of those moments, right? Like you said with Ryan, where they stop you or you stop and you know, you know that Pinocchio shouldn't do that or make that choice. It's so clear. But then in their own lives, when they come across things, it's not as clear. And there are lots of times where you could tell a child, don't do X. And they're not going to listen to you (laughs) because they're normal human beings, just like we're hard-headed adults. But there is something about the magic of story that attaches either a virtue or vice that makes it very memorable. And for little impressionable ones, they get to experience the damage of bad choices through a really fantastical story. Mm -hmm. And that creates imprints in their souls uh, to help cultivate what it means to choose virtue over vice. Which is a beautiful gift for them, even if they don't appreciate it at the time. But, I mean, we, we are hopefully saving them from having to learn that the hard way, right, yeah. by experiencing it. Grimm's very sure. Yeah. Those were largely created yeah. <laughs> with a lot of scary stuff to keep children from being kidnapped by bad people. Right. I mean, it, yeah. you know, go wandering off the wood, don't eat the candy someone offers right. and such. They were built to teach children. Yeah. This is a chance to teach them. There is a true good and beautiful and there's an ugly side to life we can develop in them a sense of choice because in a way they're not your morals right yeah, they're well, the I'm morals just tell, of I'm the just story the story so yeah right he yeah. turned into a donkey because he was misbehavior but uh, right yeah. yeah that's not just me telling you that's what's going to happen that's what happened see someone else wrote it down yeah now just talking a little more about reading aloud are there any specific memories it can be pinocchio it can be anything but moments that you've had with your three kids that have been really powerful that stand out to you as that reading aloud time was hugely significant. Yes. So one of the series that I read with my children, well, my oldest two, was we read through the entire Harry Potter series and I read aloud the whole thing to them. And I just had the best memories of reading that with them. And I think that that series is 
well-written and there are so many themes that you can actually tie into faith and choices, friendship, honesty, integrity, family. Those were really special memories. But right now when I'm reading aloud, it's often with my first grader. And so the books that we're reading are a little bit different. But I'm just, I'm always struck. She read a story to me the other night and it was um, Ruby Finds a Worry which is a short picture book. But in it, she stopped me and she said, Mom, that's not what you're supposed to do with a worry. And I said, well, what are you supposed to do with a worry? And she said, you're supposed to talk about it because then the worry gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's not really a worry anymore. And I thought, this is exactly the reason I want to sit here because that's what reading aloud with your child can build. It's an emotional literacy, an emotional vocabulary that they're developing. Is she available for high school chapel next week? (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things I'm I'm struck by. One, and my kids are are six and three, so we're just getting to this stage of of kind of a little bit more mature stories, but it is, it is still hard to get them to talk about themselves and their day and their own worries. And so I see where the story kind of allows for some of that conversation that I'm hoping to get out of them in their own life that just isn't always coming right now, which is pretty neat. So you tell me as an expert in reading aloud, okay, as someone who has these great memories of it, sometimes we get to bedtime and like my head goes to how quick can we get through bedtime? Pick the short book. Please yeah. pick the short book. Yeah. So how do I, as a parent, embrace this time, build it in to where it's not an afterthought yeah. or a thing to get through? <laughs> My mind immediately went to the saying, you never know when something is the last time and the last time is the last time. Yeah. You know, and I think about that because my older children for the most part now read independently on their own and we will probably choose a book for the summer to do as a read aloud but more and more they're doing their own thing and so I think it's just that perspective for me treasuring that time and knowing that it's special and it's limited yeah I actually read uh fantastic Mm. Mr. Fox out Mm -hmm. loud to Brian have you read this book Yes. Times. Yes, I used to fall asleep listening to it on tape. Well, I, I actually read it to him out loud November the 25th, 2009. Wow. Because I read the date in it. And then here's a picture of us. at the. Oh. I read it at a diner on a day of school, the day after Thanksgiving. Wow. And Angie was at work and Katie was somewhere. And it was so memorable because it was the opening day of the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox hmm. and George Clooney and Meryl Streep. So I was teaching him the difference between a great story, how it's told in a book, and how a, a movie can take license that's still okay. So we read the whole book in the breakfast diner and just laughed our way through it. Yeah. And then we walked right across the street, right into the movie theater, and saw the whole movie. Then we went out to lunch, and we spent the next hour and a half just comparing the movie to the book. Yeah. And he still talks about that. It's still one of my favorite movies, but I'm wondering if it's a favorite movie because of that moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Pinocchio is another example of that, right? Yeah, a book yeah. That, that became a movie. Are, are we all agreed that books are typically better? Yes. Oh, totally. Hands I mean, down. Yeah. Totally. Part of the joy of books is, like, you think about it all day, and then you go home yeah. and you pick it up again, right? And so you're you're halfway through your day, and you're like, oh, man, what if it's this, right? Well, yeah. You know? And, and the movie, you don't have time to wonder. I like the idea of just pausing it 
And then I got to imagine for the yeah. next few days what actually happens. Sure. And and even if your imaginings are not correct, you've, well, you've now lived a bunch of other oh, versions of the story that yeah, are kind of fun. that story for days. We've mentioned a lot of fiction books. We've mentioned uh, some books that involve fantasy and magic, whether it's Pinocchio, you brought up Harry Potter. Uh, I think in Narnia. some... Yeah, Chronicles of Narnia, right? Like in some... Christian communities, there's a, a concern or a fear that uh, elements of, of magic or imagination are counter-biblical or might be, be hurting kids' acceptance of the, of the gospel. I'm curious yeah. what you guys think of that. My approach has been, if I can introduce a wide range of the way the world works in a safe way in my safe home and talk to my kids about it and then be the place where they can say, Dad, what does that mean? This will get heard. In a way, I'm giving them a dose of the wide range of the universe in age-appropriate ways and then being the person that they can soundboard it with. I had a mentor teach me how to inoculate my children because if, if everything's avoidance, then what I really create are fantastical taboos. Mm. And I'm not there to be a part of that conversation. Mm. So for me, it was part of the mentorship model of inoculating them for being overly interested in glamorized bad things. Yeah, and I think that in all of these stories, from The Hobbit to Harry Potter to Chronicles of Narnia to Pinocchio, there is good and there is evil, and that is biblical truth. And I think that exposing them to how that can play out and what that looks like in all different forms, fantasy and otherwise, is is really healthy. It seems to me, too, that there is value in I mean, I think God gave us imagination and creativity, yeah. and we don't want to stifle that, but we want to, We also want kids to know the difference between reality and imagination and get comfortable with those two different worlds. And, and stifling the imagination side probably doesn't, doesn't allow for them understanding that difference. No, it doesn't right? work in the long run. Yeah. And, um, and it doesn't allow them to cultivate their own understanding of how do they evaluate going forward what's yeah. good and bad. So we validated imagination and creativity and reading works of fiction, but that doesn't mean that your six-year-old should read Tolstoy or, or something. How do you know what the right age is to introduce a book or a theme or a topic? Well, I think that's actually one of the other benefits of a read-aloud is that while there's a lot of books that I would say wouldn't be the right content level, whether it's because of vocabulary and fluency or because of concepts that a child should be reading on their own. But I think that as a read aloud, you could expose them to that level of literature much earlier because you're there as their guide to read the words and to discuss the concepts. Um, so of course, there, I think there's a level of personal parental preference in terms of what you introduce or what you want to introduce. But I think children are definitely ready to explore some of these things that maybe, again, on their own wouldn't be appropriate. It's getting exposed to some of the scarier elements probably earlier than most parents think. Mm. And I think especially for those of us that have adult children, we know that now. But I, I didn't know when Katie was seven, but I figured it out by the time she was 18 that I was sometimes late to the game that she was actually maturing at a little faster rate uh, than what I was aware of. And, um, and so there, there, is, there is the discernment of when to bring up certain topics. But the modeling of that is answer a question with a question. And sometimes you just 
you can get kids to tell you what they're thinking, and then you, you sort of figure out how far how far yeah. down to go. Okay, so maybe there's there's some people listening who haven't read aloud much to their children and are thinking, where do I put this in our life? How do I start this? Do I just do I just pick up and start reading? Is there what what advice would you give them for some ways to start? Well, I would say pick a time that works for your family. I like bedtime. It seems just natural, and it's a good way to wind down. There's also some really good research about that it's good for the brain as it turns off and winds down and actually will help them get to sleep. Then I would choose a book that looks good to you. It doesn't have to be a long, arduous process to choose a book. If it's a picture book or actually a chapter book, I would recommend reading it ahead. Preview it before reading it together because sometimes you're just more in tune with what's in there then and it won't be taken by surprise. But yeah, then just simply read aloud, adding Silly voices is optional. I think adding silly voices is mandatory, but you know, depends on how exhausted you are <laughs> as, a, as a mom or dad. Yeah. Are there questions that like are your go-to questions for you've just read something aloud and you want to engage about it? I mentioned this before, but I think that reading aloud gives you an opportunity to develop some emotional vocabulary for your child, which sometimes we don't do, you know, so emotions like how do you think they're feeling or how to make you feel? Just really minor, because especially uh, children's picture books are filled with opportunities for that, and it just it helps them tune in to how others are feeling. Yeah. And probably normalize their own feelings. I mean, yes. I can imagine as a, as a child, sometimes you feel things, and you're sort of like, is this, am I supposed to feel this way? Do right. other people feel this way? Right. Yeah, they, yeah. they get a friend that's right yeah. there in the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ba- back to when to read, I would say, with, uh, Ryan was a bouncy boy. Like, he was like Tigger. You know, bouncy, 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 fun, 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 fun. So for him to sit still for me to read a chapter book was less likely. He also was tired. But I actually read Pinocchio to him out in the front yard at night. He was practicing. He was learning. He was teaching himself to kick penalty kicks into the soccer goal in the front yard. So he had flashlights tied to the net of the (laughs) front yard goal, which our neighbors didn't like. But I read all of Pinocchio sitting in a lawn chair with a flashlight with Ryan running back and forth, kicking the soccer ball. So the whole book was him in this kinetic moment of kicking balls and running around in the dirt and me not being bothered by that. Well, I I have really enjoyed this. I know I, as parent of young children, I'm excited to go home tonight and read to my girls. Now I just have to decide what book. So I'd say Pinocchio. Maybe, maybe so. Well, thank you at home for listening. We're looking forward to joining you again on our Eagle Perspective podcast. Stay tuned for more in our series, A Yard of Books. Uh, If this is your first time joining us, we'd love for you to listen to some of our other podcasts. Uh, You can find us on Spotify or Apple Music or other places where podcasts are available. Rod and Amanda, thank you both very much. Thanks. And those of you at home, we'll catch you next time. Bye.